0: Please open your Bibles to 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25, and let us listen to God's holy and precious and infallible word. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor... If for the sake of conscience toward God a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated you endure it with patience, but if when you do what is right and suffer for it you patiently endure, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously, And he himself bore our sin in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. What do we know about God's word? The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord live forever. Our Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Pardon me for a second while I wipe my eyes. Getting old isn't easy. And it's not because I'm crying about what I'm saying. It's because my eyes keep leaking. Now having said that, I want to begin by pointing out a couple things about the context of chapter two, verses 18 through 25. First, the overall context of the letter. Uh, If you have your Bibles, does anybody have a Bible here? (laughs) Open the Bible to 1 Peter chapter one, verse one. And you'll see that he begins greeting people that he's writing, saying, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus Galatia Cappadocia Asia and Bithynia, who are chosen. Now forgive me at the very front of the service for of the sermon for being picky. But my wife tried to excuse me for that. But this is an important picky issue. It reads literally Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to chosen aliens. That's whom he was addressing. They are chosen aliens. He, they'd always been living there. They were living in this vast area which is really uh, covers the space of modern Turkey called, uh, in different provinces called uh, Pontus and Galatia and C- Cappadocia and, and Asia and Bithynia. It leaves off a little bit of the eastern part of Turkey as we know it today. But it's a vast area, and here were these believers scattered around there. They had been living there all their lives, yet now he calls them aliens. Aliens. Aliens are people who have no, no citizenship. They're there momentarily. They're in a voluntary situation. Now they're aliens in their own land. Not literally, of course. This is what Peter is calling them, but but it's a proper... A proper name for them, and it's a proper name for you and me. It's a biblical name. By faith, Abraham lived as an alien in the land that he had been promised, because he was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. In Philippians 3:20 to 21, Paul reminds his readers, uh, "For our citizenship is in heaven from which we await the Lord Jesus Jesus Christ. But they're not just aliens. They're chosen aliens. Chosen being chosen by God. You are a chosen by God alien. And sometimes we need to keep in perspective who we are, who it is that he was writing to. This is our perspective as Christian believers this is what we know and believe, and this is who we uh, accept that we are. Now, that's the first part of the context. The second part of the context is in chapter two, verse eleven through three twelve. And there we have what most scholars refer to as, in, using the German word "haustafeln," "haustafeln," "house tables." They're tables that give instructions to people who live in houses, basically. For example, you remember in Paul, uh, Paul has uh, wives, husbands, children, fathers, uh, slaves, masters. He does that in Ephesians uh, 5 and 6, and then Colossians 3 and 4, and then in Titus 2, he has older men and older women. And younger women and younger men and slaves and he's giving instructions to all this. These are called haustoffeln. We have on here. Only the haustoffeln that, that he is addressing, those p- groups, those specific groups that he is addressing are, are aliens and sojourners, chapter 2, verses uh, uh, 11 through 17. Aliens and sojourners, that's everybody. And then 18 through 25, servants. And then uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 7, wives with a little hitch on there for husbands in verse 7. He couldn't leave husbands off. But basically it's three groups of people. It's, it's the aliens and sojourners as a whole, servants, and then wives. And, and, and I, we need to notice that there's a familiar theme that runs through all three of those. And the theme is this. Aliens and sojourners submit to the governing authorities. Servants, be submissive to your masters. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Now why in that day and in that time was Peter saying this to these three groups? What is it that they had in common? What they had in common was that in that society and in that world in which they lived, they were the vulnerable ones. they were what we might term the defenseless ones. and the treatment that they routine, routine, forgive me routinely <laughs> received uh, was the treatment that Christians overall throughout Pontus and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia could expect to receive from a hostile world. From a hostile world. Yet, despite this kind of treatment that they were going to receive, his main injunction to all three of them is, "Submit, submit." There's another theme running through these house toffle. And that is, for the aliens and the sojourners, he says, this is the will of God. Verse 16, you are bond slaves of God. And for the servants, he says, submit to your masters with all respect. And that word respect is not respect. <laughs> that word respect is fear. And he's, there, he's not saying to the servants, submit to your masters with all respect for the masters. He's saying, respect, uh, submit to the masters with all fear of God. Out of fear of God, this is what you're supposed to do. And then he goes on in verses 19 and and 20 and uh, refers to this finds favor with God. This finds favor with God, a repeated phrase. And then with the wives, he says, a gentle and quiet spirit is precious in the sight of God submitting in these contexts was God's will for them this i would submit to you is the core message of first peter peter writing this letter is saying if you are suffering unjustly and if you patiently endure you are following the will of god in this matter And what you need to do is trust God to take care of you. It's that simple. Now, keeping all of this context in mind, (laughs) let's go uh, to uh, verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Unreasonable. Now, it's hard to imagine what it must have been like to be a slave in, in Roman times. There were a lot of slaves in that day. One-third of the population of Rome were slaves. And there were a lot of slaves in the church. How do we know this? Well, Paul addresses them in his epistles, and, and Paul uses the, the idea Paul a bond slave, he identifies in that way with many of his people, but especially in Romans chapter 16, we have 26 names whom Paul is greeting. And these uh, super-duper intelligent people who know and study names from from New Testament times and in the world, in the Roman world in which they live, they look at all of those names and they say the majority of those names were slaves that he was right Now we can suppose that in those five provinces that now consist of Turkey, there were a lot of slaves. And and we can also suppose that there were a lot of slaves who came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, and those were the special group that Paul was addressing uh, here. The term servant here means house servant as opposed to public servants. There were public servants, a whole bunch of them that took care of fields and other places, and they were, they were almost like serfs. House servants had a more respectable position because they were within households, and, and, and the masters of those households uh, de- depended upon him. But the word for masters is the Greek word despotes, from which we get the word despot. That doesn't mean that they are always despots. As despotates. But, but a despotate had unlimited power and authority over those slaves. If he wanted to, them killed, they, they could be killed. It's that simple. Do you see the word unreasonable at the end of verse 18? Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who were perverse, is a better, more accurate translation. Some masters were perverse. Others were nice. I suppose it depended on how they viewed them. Aristotle viewed slaves as non-human, as chattel. He called them workhorses, And I suppose that is the view that the, the mean masters had of their slaves. The Stoics thought just the opposite, that slaves were truly human and that they should be treated kindly and moderately. But for the mass of slaves in that day, life was demeaning and often cruel. You treat a person like an animal and there's a real danger that it will become one. But since the safety of the household depended on the obedience of those house slaves, it really would behoove, I would think, a master, a despotase, to treat them well. If he was considerate, they could live together virtually as a family, and many did. The servants would live on, this, on the higher quarters, on the family, on the, on the main floor, uh, lower uh, quarters, and they would get along. But if harsh and cruel and, and, the, and the slave decided to retaliate, and assassinate his despotates, all the slaves of that master would be killed, some horribly, in order uh, to serve as an example to other households who had slaves, so that those slaves would understand this is what would happen to you if you do the same things. Now, this was the situation to which Paul was writing, if we can capture that in our own minds. And what does Peter tell servants? Under all circumstances, whether their masters are nice and gentle or whether they are perverse, in either case, they are to submit to their masters. Does that make sense to you? Does that make sense to me? Not from my human selfish standpoint. But then he adds, verses 19 through 20, For this finds favor. If for the the sake of conscience toward God, that is, toward our desire to love and follow him, if for the sake of our conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, for what credit is there if when you sin you are treated harshly, you endure it with patience. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Notice how he begins and ends with the phrase, this finds favor with God. This finds favor with God. If when you do what is right and you suffer for it. Now this is the heart of a true servant of the Lord. Which brings in into question our Service to the Lord. And I've been thinking about this. How often do we suffer unjustly? We usually suffer justly. And we get what we deserve. When I'm pulled over for uh, speeding, it's because I was speeding. And I'm suffering. But but I'm getting the punishment for what I deserve. Now, I haven't done that lately. I haven't done that lately. I'm getting too old to speed. Well, pretty... Oh, to speak <laughs> but I, I see children who think they 're suffering unjustly uh, with their parents, that their parents are treating them unjustly and, and I doubt that that 's the case. How do we respond even in small matters when people are mad and mean at us whether it 's in the marketplace or it's at home or or whatever it is or the violence is taking place around the world and there's a lot of violence taking place and it's increasing how what, what is our response someone has said I'm sure glad that I'm not a servant because this doesn't apply to me however peter is simply applying a principle he learned from jesus Remember in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you falsely and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. This is a general principle. Let's not limit it to servants. Let's spread it out and let's (laughs) apply it to ourselves uh, for sure. Our tendency is to respond in kind, to retaliate, and surely we need to learn how to follow Christ's example. This is what Stephen did, didn't he? He was performing miracles and he was preaching. He was dragged away to to the Sanhedrin. False witnesses testify against him and after speaking they drag him outside the city and they begin to stone him. And he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, lay not this sin against them. I think that's following that principle. Dr. Edmund Clowney, I don't know how many of you had the pleasure of hearing him preach. He was a, a marvelous preacher. He's now with the Lord. President of Westminster, a professor of homiletics, of preaching, and, and he could preach. I borrowed one sermon of him. Though I changed it a little bit, so I wasn't totally borrowing it from him. He's just He was just very... Uh, gifted from the Lord. He told a true story of a Korean pastor in the the Korean conflict over there, a Korean pastor who had two sons, Matthew and John, good names, executed by a band of, of communists there near the 38th parallel. And while they were executing him, they called upon them to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And when the communists were driven out, a young man in the city was identified as the one who actually pulled the trigger and shot his two uh, sons. And so, in the court hearing, an execution was ordered that, they, that this person would be executed. But the, son, the, the father asked that they be released and put into his custody so that he could adopt them, him. The father said, I thank, God, I thank God that he has given me the love to seek, to convert, and to adopt as my son the enemy who killed my dear boys. And that's a heartening story. I, it's hard to, th- to think of, of myself duplicating that if I were in the same situation. It goes against my sinful human nature. But he was displaying a true servant heart. He was following what Jesus told him to follow. He was following Jesus. But now we read on on the second part of our, our passage, and we're going from a servant being a true servant and a servant's heart to the heart of a suffering servant. Because what we are about to read is totally taken from Isaiah 53 and applied as the example to follow we read in verse 21 for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example to follow in his steps what is our calling? our calling is to patiently endure unjust suffering why? Do we have to have this as our calling? Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Peter says, Christ also suffered for you. Does this mean that every single one have to suffer the way Christ suffered? No. Jesus himself said, whoever wishes to be my disciple, let him take up his cross and follow me. Does this mean that every one of us has to be crucified? No. We follow Christ not in the degree of anguish and suffering, but in the manner in which he endured the suffering. And if need be, in the degree as well, if that's what God calls us to do. but He is not asking us to be masochists, and he is not dealing with issues such as, as war or being in court and defending oneself in those kinds of situations. We are called to follow the example of Christ, and what was that example? If you look in your Bibles at verses 22 and 23, Peter uses five phrases to describe the example of patient endurance that Christ displayed in his suffering, all immersed from the thoughts of Isaiah 53. The first two phrases quoted from Isaiah 53, 9, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit in his mouth. In other words, there was no sin for which he should be Punished, nothing that he did. And there was nothing that he said, there was no deceit in his mouth, nothing that he said that deserved persecution for what he received. He just was treated unjustly. The death of Christ was an unjust death. Verses three and four, or I mean phrases three and four, who while being reviled was not reviling in return, while suffering was not threatening, obviously relating to Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. As a lamb is led to the slaughter and a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Christ did not respond with verbal abuse or threats when being reviled and while suffering. And finally, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously, he was reviled and threatened. He did not respond in kind but was entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. This is the manner in which Jesus responded. All believers are called to respond in this manner. But Jesus' example does not end there as an example. It can only be understood by stating why he suffered. Verse 24 goes on and says, For he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that he might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds ye are healed. Again, taken from Isaiah 53. Jesus did not die and suffer just to be an example. Peter does not put forth the example of Christ Simply as an abstract pattern followed by an uncomplaining sufferer. Christ's suffering is our model because of why he suffered. Why did he suffer? In order to bear our sins on the tree. He bore our sins in the sense, and please try to understand, he took. The consequences of the sin upon himself, the consequences of our sin upon himself, he took. And by his sacrificial death, paid the penalty for them. Remove the atonement, the, 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 the dying for our sins, on behalf of our sins, from the passage, and the point of Christ's example would be lost. The Lord Jesus, the suffering servant, does not simply guide us. His suffering is the root of all of our motivation to follow his example. You know, Peter was some apostle. He was a rugged fisherman, wanting to fish for fish in the Sea of Galilee, who then became a disciple, up and down experience with Christ as a disciple, who then became an apostle, taking the lead in terms of preaching that first sermon and on throughout, throughout life until he finally came and wrote these letters, which are as deep and profound as the letters that Paul wrote. very special and yet very practical but he doesn't conclude simply with what we've already noted he concludes with a simile and a metaphor taken from Isaiah 53 he says in verse 25 for you were continually straying like sheep but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls the simile For you were continually straying from sheep. Again from Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. It's a picture of sheep. Wandering from the flock. In mortal danger. Falling off cliffs. Or being ravaged by wild animals. Or being stolen by thieves. I have a vivid Childhood memory of a picture that, ha- that h- hung in my brother's bedroom. And it was a picture of a shepherd with a staff in the one hand over a, a, a tremendous cliff going down the other side with his sheep precariously standing on the edge of the cliff and the shepherd reaching way down in order to take the sheep in his arms. And there we find the other, the metaphor, the shepherd uh, metaphor that God is watching over us. That you have now returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. That we, while we suffer for his name, while we seek to live in lives pleasing to God. That we follow Let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. We are chosen aliens. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await a Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter concludes the letter by saying, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you At the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. Let us bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, it's hard for us to even begin to consider the revelation that we're receiving here through Peter and through your spirit, Father, in Peter's life. Realizing the path that he took to come to this point in his life. Realizing also what we're told traditionally that Peter died a horrible death of crucifixion upside down. He, he learned what this truth was all about. Father, teach us in all of our relationships in everything with which we are confronted, Father, to follow the principle that is laid out here in Scripture, to respond, Father, to, if, if there is unjust treatment, to, to respond patiently enduring what is taking place for your name and for your glory, knowing that this is the will of God uh, for us, and knowing that our lives are in your hands. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.